0: Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, just a few weeks ago, I was down in, in Southampton University um, and I can remember talking to a number of students down there, and there was one particular student who uh, was really searching for God, and he told me one evening that he had been asking for a sign that uh, God was real. God, please give him a sign, and he would then uh, believe in, in God. And then he came back to me a couple of days later. He said, I've got to tell you. He said, my 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 dog died today. Um, do you think that's a sign? Uh, apparently this was a very special dog um, to him and, and he believed that God was really trying to communicate with him through the death of this poor dog. And I started immediately throwing buckets of cold water on, on this. I said, well, you know, dogs do die. It's a natural thing. I mean, it happens all the time. Dogs sometimes die. And I mean, it would be great if the dog had come back to life again. That might be something a little bit more significant, but... But no, he wanted to tell me that it was a very unusual death because the dog had gone and jumped into the swimming pool, and apparently drowned itself. Apparently quite deliberately. I I couldn't quite understand (coughs) this. And I was trying to persuade, no, no, this is probably not what you think, you see. It was very ironic. I'd gone down there in a mission to try and help these students come to a belief in God. And I was spending the whole evening trying to persuade this particular chap uh, to have nothing to do with faith that was sort of based like that. Well, how do we come to know God? What do you think? How do we get to know God? I mean, it's obviously not a simple business mastered in, in just two easy lessons. When you think about it. But that is one of the reasons why we come to church. Isn't it? To get to know God. And it's certainly the reason why every week we try and teach from the Bible here so that we might get to know God and one of the things that you notice as you begin to work your way through book after book of the Bible and we're in the first book at the moment is the number of different names by which God is known. All kinds of different names. In the book of Genesis where at the start of the Bible we are first being introduced to a God whom we can know and engage with and communicate with, there's all kinds of, of different specific names. I mean the fourth word of the book in the beginning God, that's, that's who he is, that's, his, that's not his name, that's just his character. He is the living God. You move on into chapter 4 and we get his first name, the Lord. Chapter four twenty-six. they began to call on, on the Lord. And then you get him in chapter 14 called the Most High God. The creator of everything, the disposer of everything, ultimate God. He's, he's called in, in chapter 21 the everlasting God, always faithful. Never changing. That's what he's like. The Almighty One, chapter 17, can do exactly what he, he pleases. Those are his name. Now, confession time. Is there anybody here who really does not like the name that they were given by their parent? I I am one. Uh, there's some hands being raised very tentatively. I mean... Well, I can see uh, a number of hands going up, you just don't like it. And I can understand. Do you like your name? Oh, Rodney's gone. I was going to ask Rodney whether he liked his name. One of the problems is that television programs basically um, (laughs) alter your whole social image suddenly, where you get some some prat on the television who's got your name and he does the most extraordinary thing. How many of you now admit, have little nicknames, um, for very close friends or partners. Yeah, one or two. (laughs) I'm not going to ask. I've got um, a nickname for my partner. But um, at school, people get nicknames very early, don't they? I can remember people used to ring up my home and ask for me using my nickname and my mother wouldn't have the slightest idea. I mean, can you imagine somebody rings up your home and says, Hello, is Jelly Legs there, please? And and you never knew that that's what he was called, or, or is Prune Face at home, please? But that's the only name that they know him by, Prune Face. Prune Face and the phone number. Um, people get these kind. of... Sorry, am I going too fast for the translation here? Um, you're making it up as you go along, and preaching something considerably better, probably. <laughs> well, let's let's turn to a chapter in Genesis that has a certain amount to do with names. Genesis chapter 21 Um, the pattern is if you would like a Bible uh, and haven't brought one today you put your hand up at this point and um, one will arrive from from the side (laughs) it's an amazing system Genesis chapter 21 now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him and when his son Isaac was eight days old Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me and she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar had borne, the slave girl you remember from chapter 16. He saw the son that Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham, Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Don't be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring." Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes and then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy to drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got, him, got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you're living as an alien the same kindness that I have shown to you. And Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You didn't tell me. And I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a treaty. Abraham said Apart. the seven ewe lambs from the flock and Abimelech asked Abraham what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by yourselves he replied accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well so that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there after the treaty had been made at Beersheba Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his forces returned to the land of the Philistines Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. What are we to make of that? Well, the first lesson, of course, is that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. The first paragraph of the chapter is the climax to the story that's been running since chapter 12. We've been waiting for this boy year after year, 25 years. Long waiting and probably all kinds of disappointments, hoping and then hopes dash. But now God has done it. The boy that has been promised since chapter 12 is here. God has kept his word even though they have had to wait a very, very long time. <clears throat> That's clearly what's being underlined in those first two verses. The Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had, had promised, you see. God is faithful to his word. He does what he says he will do. We may wait a long time, but in the end, God is utterly reliable and trustworthy. Yes? Yes. It is true. And you can almost sense the kind of excitement building up. You want to know God in this church, this is the first thing that that paragraph will say to you. Meet God at the point of a promise, and you'll find that God will, in the end, prove utterly trustworthy. And the boy has to be named, he's given the name Isaac, which God had promised actually four chapters earlier. And the name Isaac in Hebrew means something like laughter. Or he laughs, or perhaps he made laughter for me. That's what the, the name actually means, and you can understand it at, at one level. There's old Abraham, he's a hundred. And he's saying basically, yes. <laughs> that son I've been waiting for, he's come, vindicated after all these years. And Sarah, 99. I mean, we get used to, you know, our, our modern way of, of uh, life going and three score years and ten and when fertility drops off and so on. But here she is, 99, with a baby of her own to look after. And you can imagine her at night, rocking this thing. They all said, I couldn't. But now, look who's smiling. Laughter. And after all those years, those other promises that God gave, that there would be numerous descendants, that they would have a land of their own, that that Family would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Those promises can now begin to kick into action and start to move. The name is also a slightly teasing reference to the reactions on the part of both Abraham and Sarah uh, when God first began to talk about his plans for them. In chapter 17, um, God had come come to visit uh, Abraham Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah, her name will be Sarah, I will bless her, surely I will give a son to her, I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. And then verse 17, and Abraham fell down and he laughed. Can you imagine, if he got right down on his, on his hands where God couldn't quite see his face and went, <coughs> like this. He laughed at the very idea. I mean Sarah, gorgeous when he married her, but she's getting on a bit. Gonna have a son. Oh yes, says God. Sarah, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing and God said, oh yes, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call his name either. Get a very similar reaction over in chapter 18. The Lord said I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. She was kind of eavesdropping on this conversation between Abraham and the Lord. Abraham and Sarah were already old. Well that's, that's a kind way of putting it. And well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed at herself as she thought "What oh, flattery. After I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? God's done it. You must call his name Isaac. You laughed, didn't you? But is anything too hard for the Lord? You see what's happening? God is saying, I want to be part of your family history. I want the names that you give to your children to reflect something about my involvement in your family. So that whenever you think, Isaac, whenever you call him in from tea, whenever you watch him growing up, when eventually you see him get married, you'll know that I've been part of your family story. I am the God who brings laughter, brings joy after sorrow, and after long waiting, and after pain. God is the God who can give you laughter. That's what the name means. There is to be joy in our, in our own private story and in our family story. We see what God does for us. Some we looking at it very puzzled at me. But it is true. And, and sometimes when we look back over what God has done, then the smile comes to our face. John Franks is writing a history of the church. It goes back till the early days of his own involvement in about the 1830s. To follow the whole story right through. And uh, one of the things that we're going to see when eventually this, um, this thing comes out <clears throat> They'll make a film of it probably Kate Winslet and, and what's his name, Bob? Who's going to play your part, Don? One of the things you'll see is, is the, the way in which God has worked in the church's story and the joy and the happiness that God can bring in people's lives. God is a God of rescue and laughter and joy. That's the story that needs bringing out. That comes out in this chapter too. Then between verses 8 and 21 we begin to face some of the deeper problems that the arrival of children can pose. And we're not, uh, some of you now are now grinning. We're not talking now just about the damage to your sleep patterns, you know, you feel half dead all day because you've been up half the night, or you, you go to, to see the boss, and as you're sort of about to go into his office, you notice those little sick dribbles down your best suit. you finally shake hands with him, feeling like some leaky airline sit bag, simply because, you know, your kid just vomits on you all the time, isn't it joyful, and we're not just talking about your home being a complete mess, that happens when, when children come. Or your babies refuse to eat the food that you're ready to give them every three or four hours. Oh, so ready. and They won't have it. We're not talking about just those kind of things. Or, or the fact that every other baby in the church seems perfect. They're clean, they're fragrant, they smile when people look at them, and you've got a stinker who just breaks into inconsolable tears every time anybody peers into his little face. Those things pass. They're just phases, you know. Eventually they become teenagers. They want full three-course meals every two hours. (laughs) And the great joy of having teenagers is that you can blame the mess in your house on them. Now, what we're facing here is is a rather deeper problem and something which has affected the whole of human history. This split between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac is, is weaned. Uh, in, in these Bible times, he would have been about two or three years old. Think about that. And a big party is thrown by Father Abraham. It basically it's an excuse for all the adults to get together, basically and have a good gossip and a chat, and, and, and little two or three-year-old Isaac sits in the middle of, of all this adult party. You just imagine him sitting on the floor there practicing his, his new vocabulary, you know, words like circumcision and, and abimelech and things like that but many of the adults are enjoying a party. And the older brother Ishmael, who by now would have been about 15 or 16 years old, is very jealous. He knows what this is all about. He despises and hates his feeble half-brother and all he stood for. So at this family gathering, he is sitting there jeering and mocking the official heir, Isaac. And Sarah sees this and you imagine she is enraged, she is ready to pour boiling sulfuric acid all over this kid's head. And she goes to Abraham and says I want his mother and him out of this camp. And the passage says that Abraham, Um, was very distressed. That's what the NIV says. The word actually is much stronger than that. He was extremely angry with Sarah for coming out with this stuff. In verse 10, you see, it says, um, get rid of that slave woman and her son for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. Can you feel the pride? And the next verse, the matter greatly distressed Abraham because it concerned his son. Ishmael, father of both of them. This is one angry man at the head of his house. And God intervenes. We don't quite know how, but as only God can, God intervenes to give direction and instruction. He says to Abraham, let Hagar go. And Ishmael, it's all right. I'll look after them. So, I guess with real sadness, Abraham gives them as much food and water as they can carry and lets them go out into the desert. And for a few few verses, we follow them out into the desert. Beersheba was rough, inhospitable country. It was the northern end of the desert of Paran, which is huge. It covers most of the Arabian Peninsula. And before long, they're lost. Their water's gone. They're dying of thirst. They're in a completely hopeless, pitiless place, staring death in the face. Now what God like? God is a God of rescue. Even though the story of Ishmael is a bit of a branch line, it's a detour of main story of the family of the people of God. God is still kind. And God still keeps his word. The name Ishmael means God hears, God listens and hears and the angel came and spoke to them he repeated God's earlier unbreakable promises that uh, Ishmael was going to be all right. I'm watching, I've got promises to keep, you're going to be the father of uh, great nations and he opens um, his eyes to a nearby well. God can hear your cry Something which, which is absolutely trustworthy and foundational for real, living, growing Christian faith. God can hear your cry. And God comes even to Ishmael after all that he's been, been doing and rescues him. Ishmael was the father of all the Arab nations. You look now around the world and you see the ongoing effects of that quarrel around the campfire. Now on an international and I want to say to you that God is still kind even uh, to the Arabs to the people of of Ishmael if you like and I just wish that all over the Muslim world something similar would happen as happened in Genesis 23 because there you see in the little story Ishmael cut off from his father He's, he's resentful he's displaced he feels he's been suffering injustice Exactly like so many do in parts of the Middle East to this day, dying of thirst in a desert, but actually blind to the well that there is right nearby. Muslims have in, in the town of Mecca in Saudi Arabia a well that it's called locally Zemzem. They believe, um, and it may be, for all I know, that that was the actual well that Ishmael was finally uh, taken to and could drink from. Imagine a greater well being opened up as it were or let me put it in a different way the eyes of people Muslim, Arab nations all across the world be their eyes be opened to the well that there is in the Lord Jesus Christ for their own souls satisfaction. God is kind. God is a rescuing God. God even though we may feel sometimes marginalized and displaced and, and not where we would let, want to be and excluded. God still is God. He's the God who, who loves to hear prayer and who knows how to refresh and and meet with us in our in our situation. God can hear your cry. And then finally there's the treaty with Abimelech. I suppose we can say that the arrival of children poses the need for security in perhaps an acute form Abimelech has children he knows that Abraham is a powerful man God is with you he says there in verse 21 in everything you do he's also concerned that Abraham wouldn't deal falsely not only with him but perhaps after he's gone with his own family Abraham as we saw last week was not above dealing falsely when it's addicted from lying about his wife and getting himself into a number of scrapes so Abimelech comes with Phicol, the, uh, we might call him, the security officer. He's the commander of his army. And they come up to Abraham and they request a treaty, a kind of non-aggression pact. And then you have the immediate example of how that might work in the sorting out of, of the rights to a particular well that Abraham's servants had dug and so on. Let me go quickly. By the end of the chapter, this raises in a very important way for us the question I want you to face: Where does your security in life ultimately lie? Who's looking after you? What do you ultimately depend upon? Think about it: the state, the oligarchy, the social security system, national health service. The politicians say so often and so. All of them say, you know, the National Health Service is safe in our hands. It makes me absolutely convinced they're up to something. Is that what you rely on? Or your pension company? Or your bank balance? Your partner? Friend? What do you rely on? No. Dear friends, we must gather up all the areas of concern in our life. Future, health, finance, reputation, our well-being everything that we care about, gather it all up and commit it to God. And ask him to watch over us and our future and our affairs and however long we we live or, or whatever. Your health, your future, your family, your soul, your everything to be committed quite deliberately to God. Abraham, you see, already had a treaty with God. Would you like? You can put it that way. Right back, um, Genesis chapter 12. God had come and promised, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The promises of God. Poor old Abimelech had nothing like that to rely on, did he? All he could hope for is stitching up a deal here and a bit of a treaty there and a non-aggression pact with someone else and and hope that uh, things go well for his family after he died. Abraham has something far more reliable. The God who gives his word. The God who speaks and who expects to be taken seriously. Who makes promises and intend to keep them to the last second of time. Come back to my student friend um, in Southampton. I would want to say to him Daniel don't trust an imaginary God of may Don't think that God just works through spooky coincidences. Now the God I've been down here telling you about all week is a God who's come a God who's spoken, a God who's reliable, a God who wants involvement in our lives. And one of the great things about God is that He, He speaks and gives promises and keeps them. Truly. That's what God is like. Bobby, come here. God is, is good. What a lovely way to end. (laughs) Thank you Paul and Karen. We're going to pray. You don't need to leave. We'll just pray. God, our Father, we do thank you that you come into our families. You bring healing and restoration. You bring laughter. You bring hope. We thank you that you keep your word to us. Sometimes we're the ones that take a long time to listen. Sometimes you seem to work on a very long time scale. But you're a great God. Help us to know you better. In the midst of the ordinary things of life. For your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.nigel.org livingleadership.org God bless.